Job chapter 5, let's stand to our feet. Uh, we have been teaching on the book of Job uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, so if you've been here on Wednesday night, I'm going to make a statement again here uh, about when, when Job's three friends talk to him, uh, some things they say is true. But their premise of why they were saying it was wrong. Uh, they, they were trying to convict Job of something that he did not do. And you see that. I mean, the more they talk to him, the uh, more they try to accuse him, and the more he has to make his argument. But in Job chapter 5, Eliphaz is talking to Job, and he makes a very true statement in verses 17 and 18. And that's where I want to preach from. Job 5, verse 17. And the Bible says, Behold, happy is the man... Whom God correcteth. <clears throat> Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth and his hands make whole. You can be seated this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again this morning. We uh, thank you for the mercy and the grace that you've given us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for saving us and keeping us. And uh, Lord, I pray that the choir singing has uplifted your name and brought glory to you. We thank you for the good Sunday school lesson this morning. Uh, Lord, for the update of what Brother Jeff and Zeke are doing in the ministry, I pray you continue to bless that. Lord, but it's time now for preaching and uh, we certainly need a touch and that from heaven. I pray that you just give us unction from the Holy One. I pray you'd guard our mind and our thoughts Lord, we really do believe this to be the message for the hour for these people that are sitting here today uh, that's under the sound of our voice. And Lord, I pray it be a help to them and it would encourage them. We ask if there's somebody here lost, save them. Uh, bring them to Calvary. Bring them to a place of repentance that they'd trust you. Would you help us now while we might preach, encourage the one that needs it. And we stand in such need of you for all this in Jesus' name. We do ask and pray, amen and amen. While I preach today, I'm going to be preaching to save people. Now, if you're lost, if you've never trusted Jesus to save you, I want you to understand something this morning, that he died for you and me so that you and me could get saved, amen. Now, the Bible said in Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and why were we yet sinners that uh, Christ died for us? And boy, I'm glad today that if you accept him, I, and trust Him in your heart, He will save you. And you need to do that because that's the only way to get to heaven and the only way to have assurance of salvation is to trust Him and have peace in your heart. But most of you could tell probably what I'm going to preach on today and that would be on the chastening hand of God. Let me say that there are some who don't think that God chastens. Uh, they focus primarily on his love uh, uh, and his mercy uh, and never give consideration uh, to his chastened hand. And then you have those that that's all they want to focus on uh, uh, is God's judgment uh, uh, and God's chastened hand that God uh, 
uh, will chasten you for just a uh, minorest uh, uh, problem that you have uh, in your life. Can I tell you something today? God would far rather uh, have mercy uh, uh, than to chasten. You understand that, don't you, this one? I, I mean, listen, uh, you've got to understand, Micah 7 said, uh, Who is a God like unto thee uh, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Uh, he retaineth not his anger forever uh, because he delighteth uh, uh, in mercy. Uh, hey, God delights uh, in having mercy. And I believe it pushes him uh, uh, to have to chasten. Amen. And I, I don't think God enjoys that. I, I don't think God gets some kind of kick uh, uh, out of having to chasten uh, uh, his children. Uh, uh, you go over to the book of Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, now you have to understand what's taking place in the book of Lamentations. Uh, uh, you read the book of Jeremiah and he has warned them uh, uh, that God is going to destroy uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judah. Israel's being carried off into bondage and they're slowly being taken away. Uh, but there's coming a time when God is going to finish that work uh, of destruction. Uh, and when you read the book of Lamentation, uh, uh, it is when Jerusalem is being besieged and that by the enemy. Uh, uh, they're starving to death. Uh, uh, they have nothing to eat. Uh, uh, the enemy is constantly bombarding them and fixing to destroy them. And here's what he said. Uh, it is of the Lord's mercies uh, that were not consumed. He said, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Uh, great is thy faithfulness. And so even in the midst of God's chastening hand uh, uh, against the nation of Judah, uh, Jeremiah said it is of the Lord's mercies uh, that were not consumed. Now some of you all have been chastened by the Lord uh, uh, because of sin that has crept into your life, uh, uh, because of the road you went down. Uh, God has had to get your attention. Uh, uh, and it was by His mercy that He did not kill you. Amen. Amen. Listen, David said, Chasten me not in thy hot displeasure. At another time, he said, Chasten me not in thine anger, but according to thy judgment. Boy, if God gets angry with us, we're in a mess. I did not intend this when I studied. I'm going to tell you, God is angry with our nation. If you don't believe that, there's something wrong with you. If you cannot see that God is angry, you don't know the book, uh, uh, you don't understand how God works, uh, uh, you don't understand any of it, uh, how God has blessed our nation, uh, but yet we have thumbed our nose at Him and said no, uh, and that unto God. Take your Bible and go to Hebrews 12. Now we'll get started here in a minute. Hebrews chapter 12 as we're talking about the chastening hand of God. He does not joy in chastening, but He does it. He would far rather have mercy. Wouldn't you moms and dads and grandparents that have raised children, wouldn't you rather just have mercy on your children, even when they might mess up a little bit? And, a little... and I was going to say this to the end, but I want you to get something as I preach this morning. I don't think we ever. I don't think we were to get up in the morning uh, and say, "Boy, I, I've got to toe the line and walk just right every move that I make." I think we're to walk right, amen. But I, I don't know how to get this said with, without you. I don't want you to misconstrue 
what I'm going to say, I think we need to live by the Word of God, but when we do it, it is a heart, it is with the heart. And see, if you can get your heart right, uh, now listen to me, you're going to meet, if you don't get anything else, you get this this morning. If you will get your heart right with God, uh, you'll get your actions right. Amen. Amen. You'll get them right. If you'll get your heart right, you'll get your actions right. And boy, it's a heart problem, you say. But I, you know, a lot of people, when they hear messages like this, they, they, they think they've got to get up every morning and, and we're just so afraid of living life that we're going to mess something up or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and God's going to take a hammer and beat us on the head. I don't think that's how it works. That is not how any of you... I've been in your houses. I've been around you raising your children. You don't, you don't do that. You know what you do? You know, there's three things... In, in that I've seen in, in raising children and in God dealing with us. First of all, there's instruction. Ain't there? Me and you's got instruction. We're holding a book in our lap. He's gave us instruction on how to live. When we, mess, when we do that, that's great. God is happy with us when we do that instruction. But if we mess that up, He gives us what? Correction. He takes that same book and says, did I not tell you to do this? Is this not what I showed you to do? Do you not do that with your children? Do you start out beating the fire out of them when they mess up the first time? Now, we're going to get over in this here in a minute. I'm going to show you some things I don't understand. But, but thanks be unto God, Mama didn't beat the fire and Daddy didn't beat the fire out of me the first time. I don't know that I'd have survived it all. I mean, man, do you know how many times I messed up being a kid? Right? Right? You mess up being a kid. You know, it's, the problem we run into is it's when we get older and we mess up. See, it's, it's when we become mature Christians and, and we've learned better and we should know better. That's where it really hurts at, you see. But I will tell you this. If you don't receive the instruction and you don't receive the correction then chastening's coming. Now that word chasten means to correct by punishment. Or it means to punish. It, it means to inflict pain for the purpose of recovering the offender. Or to afflict by other means. Did you understand what that, what that definition, what, what it says? It, it has the word punish, inflict pain, or to afflict. It's not a good thing for God to have to do that. To us, except for the fact that it will bring us back to Him. Look in Hebrews 12. This is where I told you to go. Hebrews 12, look in verse 5. And He said, And you have forgot the exhortation which uh, speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. If you endure chastening, uh, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. So uh, as I come to this point in the introduction, uh, listen, God chastens those that are His. He does not chasten those that are not His. That's why I said I'm preaching to save people this morning. God, God does not chasten the world. He's going to judge the world. 
I mean, that's what's going to happen. He's going to judge the world. I mean, our nation is being judged and it's going to get worse and worse as time goes on. I don't know how much longer uh, he's going to have mercy and have long suffering on us as a nation. But but as his people, uh, listen, when, when we do wrong, uh, uh, he is going to chasten us. Notice he said to chasten in verse 6 and to scourge. That literally means to beat on, by the way. Well, we've raised generations that's done without whoopings. And I, I know whoopings don't fix everything. I got that. I understand that. But boy, if you love, the Bible said if, if you love your children, if you love your son, uh, you're chasing him by times. That means many and different. Uh, there, there's an old saying, it's, it, you know, what uh, uh, talk, talks about to spare the rods, pull the child. You don't find that exactly in Scripture, uh, but you do, find, you do find that precept in there. Amen. But notice what he said. He he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And he said, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If you be without chastisement, now read your Bible, whereof all are partakers. So if you're a son, if you're part of the body of Christ, if you're saved and you get wrong and you stay wrong, you know what's going to happen? God's going to chasten you. If you are not saved and you are wrong, God will convict you that you need to get saved. Amen. I love the conviction of God. I love the conviction and the fact that he dealt with me one Sunday night. Even when I was not looking for God, God was looking for me. And boy, I'm glad he came to where I was. But I'm glad that even when I get wrong and I get a little cold and, and I get a little messed up in my thinking sometimes, I'm glad that God still comes by and he'll twist on my heart and squeeze on my heart. And let, you know, even if a little bitterness gets in there, if we ain't careful, boy, I'm telling you, bitterness will slip in on us. Uh, and I mean hatefulness and anger and all those things. Uh, and boy, God will just, uh, maybe I'm heading in the wrong direction on something uh, and he'll just squeeze on my heart and let me know, hey, you're headed in the wrong way. And I'm glad God still does that because I'm his. I'm not going to preach anything to you you don't know today. But I just want to look at a few things about God's chastening hand. Number one, why does God chasten? God chastens, first of all, because we've been disobedient. It's very simple today. The message is very simple. It's one thing to mess something up. It's one thing and that to kind of just just get started in the wrong direction. And God is telling us, and ain't you glad that very first song we sang in the choir, He abides, He abides. I'm glad the Holy Spirit abides in us and directs us and gives us His instruction out of God's Word. He said He would direct us in all truth. But if you want to say no to Him, you can say no to Him uh, and reject and rebel against what He's telling you. Uh, And the more you do that, the less He'll quit talking to you. Right? I mean, because you can quench the Spirit of God. You, you can, and I'm going to tell you, you, you keep becoming more and more hard-hearted uh, toward, the, toward the things of God uh, and more toward the things you want to do and the way you want to live and the way you're going or the way you are going right now. 
And God will keep telling you about it. He just seems to get quieter and quieter. That's what I always said about how with, with John laying over in the book of John, laying on Jesus' bosom. Lord didn't have to talk to John real loud. He could talk to John like this right here. John could hear him. Sometimes that's how God has to talk to us. He has to holler at us. And 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 I, listen, I did not grow up in a hollering house. I, I, ne- I never heard my parents raise their voice toward one another. And they did not raise their voice toward us. My daddy never raised his voice to me. But I knew that when he talked, he was always good for this. And man, when he snapped them fingers, that you better perk up and start paying attention because you're fixing to get in trouble. God shouldn't have to holler at us. If we're headed in the wrong direction, let me say this. I believe that God gives us instruction uh, uh, before we mess up. Wait a minute. Take your Bible and go to the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, if you've got a pencil or a pen, I want you to underline it. 2 Samuel chapter 11, then we'll come back to 21. But 2 Samuel chapter 11, you should know what this scripture is. 2 Samuel 11 and 12 deals with the sin of David and Bathsheba. But I I want you to see in 2 Samuel 11, and look in verse 1. Now, why does God chase him? Because of disobedience. And the Bible said in verse 1, it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now Joab is out fighting for David. Uh, and it is a time, the Bible said, when kings go forth to battle. And so, but he's not there. He's not battling. He's at Jerusalem. So he's kind of out of place, if you let me say that. Verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. Alright, he's seen her. She's beautiful. He wants her. So he sends for the woman to come to him. Uh, and he inquired after her. He says, who is this? And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, Eliam, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now that's what I underlined in my Bible. The wife of Uriah the Hittite. First of all, David knew she was married. Second of all, David knew who Uriah was. You do a study in your Bible about all the mighty men of valor that served under David and guess whose name shows up? Uriah the Hittite. He knew who was serving in his army. He knew that Uriah the Hittite uh, was a great man of valor serving for him. What do you mean God gives a warning? Well, David knew she was married. David knew, he knew the law. David loved God. I mean, you can go over there and look about David's testimony uh, and all those things that, that, that God said that he chose a man after his own heart and that to be king over Israel. David knew what he was about to do was wrong. 
He knew his warning. They had warned him and said, She is married to Uriah the Hittite. Stay with me. Go over to chapter 21. David is fixing to number Israel. Second Chronicles. I was about to say that wasn't reading right at all. Second Chronicles 21. Is that right? Is that where I need to be? I hope so. Well, that ain't right either. Don't you hate that Mitchell Gallion when that happens? Here it is. Chapter, is that right? 24. There it is, 24. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Second Samuel 24. Maybe it's First Chronicles 21 I wanted to go to, but go to Second Samuel 24. We'll get there. You all need to loosen them Bible pages up. <laughs> Look in uh, verse. Uh, he's fixing the number of Israel. Um, let, let's come, uh, verse 2. For the king said to Joab, the cat, well, let's read in verse 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. And the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people uh, how many soever they be, a hundredfold, and that the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? He said, look, David, you can see if God adds to us. But you don't need to number them. As a matter of fact, you go back and you'll find, I believe that David had been warned not to number Israel. But here God is angry. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel uh, that God moves upon him. He, he, he uh, uh, drives him or allows it to go in that direction. And Joab tries to talk him out of it. Verse 4, notwithstanding the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went forth from the presence of the king numbered people of Israel. Do you realize that, that it took them nine months? Nine months and 20 days according to verse 8. Nine months and 20 days according to verse 8 to number all Israel. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people under the king and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men and drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. God did not want him to number Israel. Because if he numbered Israel and knew how many was actually there, that when he went into battle, he would say, hey, I've got all these people. You know, God always takes a ragtag bunch of people and can do something with them, can He? I mean, we've seen that this morning and last week in the book of Judges with Gideon. I mean, to go from 32,000 people down to 300 and that to defeat the army out there. But David, at both these times, had received a warning. One, he knew Uriah was married to Bathsheba and two, Joab tried to stop him. God will always, I'm telling you, God will tell us, hey, you don't need to be going down that road. If the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you, I believe He will be trying His best 
to stop you. And I believe when you mess up, He'll let you know you messed up. And hey, you need to fix this thing. God will get our attention. And sometimes God getting our attention will hurt us. Take your Bible and go to the book of Jonah chapter 1. Now I'm talking about the chastening hand of God. He does that because of disobedience. Jonah, we, most of us know the story of Jonah. I'll begin to read. We're going to run out of time if I don't hurry. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fire thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. What's he doing? He's running from God. Some of us has done that over the years. Some of us has tried to get away from God. What God wanted and from the direction of God in your life. You don't have to be a preacher or called to be a missionary to try to run away from the presence of God. God was trying to get Jonah to go to Tarsus. Nineveh. He was going to Tarsus. That's exactly a 180 degree turn basically. And he's running from God. And he goes and he gets in a boat and he pays to get in the boat and he pays to run away and he's going down the whole time. Read verse 3. Verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so the ship was like to be broken. You ever been running from God, trying to get away from God, trying to get away from what God wants out of your life and God almost breaks your boat up? God's trying to get Jonah's attention. And by the time it's all said and done, uh, uh, after he goes through all this and he's asleep in the bottom of the boat down there and they, they find him uh, uh, and says, Oh thou sleeper, we got to pray. I don't know how, I don't know what God these boys knew. Uh, uh, but they finally come over there in verse 8 and said, Tell us, we pray thee, uh, 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 for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Which comest thou? What is thy country? Uh, and of what people art thou? He said, Tell us all about you, Jonah. Because they had drawed lots and it fell upon Jonah. The reason of what's happened. And he said unto them in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Uh, uh, then were the men exceeding afraid uh, uh, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told. So even in that conversation, Jonah said, Look, I'm a Hebrew. I, I fear God who made heaven and earth and I'm on the run from God right now. That's why he told them. And said, we're in this mess right here that we're in right now because I'm running from God. Now think about that for a second. He's trying to get away from God. He's trying to go do his own thing and wanting to do what Jonah wants to do. But yet God's trying to get his attention. And by the way, Jonah knew God was getting his attention. And they said, well, what are we to do? He said, throw me overboard. And they tried their best to get that boat to land. And they couldn't do it, so they throw Jonah overboard. Now, 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 there's some things that God prepared in the book of Jonah, and I don't have time. I may preach on that separately, but you can go look at some prepared things for Jonah. 
uh, in the Bible. Uh, but in verse 17, they throw him overboard. Uh, and boy, they were all over there offering sacrifice and making vows in verse 16. Uh, when they throw him out in verse 15, the storm stops. And in verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly uh, of the fish three days and three nights. So he's not only in the midst of the storm, but now he's in the belly of the whale, the great fish. Say, so how do you know it's a whale? Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's how I know it was a whale. So he's in the belly of the whale, uh, and I believe he's had some time to think, because you read uh, chapter 2, he's praying out of the belly of the whale. I believe God's got his attention, don't you? I bet he thought he was going to die in the boat. I bet he thought he was going to die in the water. I certainly believe that he thought he was going to die when the whale swallowed him up. God will let you think you're going to die. Boy, he got off his first point of the first point. And here's the thing that I do not understand about the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 13, I want you to take your Bible and go over there. We find the story of the young prophet. And God has sent him to preach down there against, against Jeroboam. And you know, I preached on this not too long ago, seven or eight months ago. And we looked at what he was preaching. He was preaching against the 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 altar over there in Dan and in Samaria, uh, and he's preaching against uh, what's going on. The Bible said that he cried against it in verse 2, I believe it was. Talked about Josiah coming. He prophesied. God was using him as a prophet. Uh, and the king said, after he goes through all that mess, and uh, the king tries to get him, and God ends up uh, drying up his arm, and, and the prophet ends up praying for his arm, and he draws it back. And the king tries to get him to go home with it. And he said, I can't go home with you. I can't go back the way I came. And I'm not to stop here and eat bread. He says, I'll not do it even for half the kingdom. I'll not do it. And so he leaves. And to make a long story short, he gets on his way back home or away from home. And there was an old prophet over there that heard that story. His boys come in and told him that story. And he lights out to go get him. And he goes and says, won't you come back home with me? And he tells him again, I can't do it. Uh, we, we find what he said uh, in verse 15. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. So the old preacher wants the young preacher to come home with him. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord. There's no guessing who told him. Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to come by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. The old prophet's talking. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee unto thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. Now do you remember that message that I preached on that? Do you remember what I said when I preached this? All the young prophet had to do was stop in his tracks and pray. And say, Lord, is he telling me the truth? 
Am I supposed to do that? Because everything you've told me up until now is don't go back and don't eat water, don't don't eat bread and drink water in this place and don't go back the way I came. That's what you've told me. Have you changed your mind? Some people act like God has changed his mind about some things. And we've got a book that says he has not changed his mind. So he went back with him in verse 19 and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept thy commandment, kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee. See, it was about obedience. Jonah's was about obedience. David's was about obedience. David was rebellious. Jonah was rebellious. The young man of God here was rebellious. Has not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hastened to eat, and hast eaten bread, not hasten, but hast eaten bread and drank water and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come under the sepulchre of thy fathers. It came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him and his carcass was cast in the way and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. You say, well, boy, that's really unfair of God. I, I want you to understand something. I, I don't have God's mind nor God's way of thinking. I don't know why God was severe right here other than the fact that, and I've got my own ideas about why God was severe, but he had told him and told him and done great work with him. And, and let me say this, that, that, that God will do as he pleases. And God will be justified in what he does. I don't have to know why God does what he does. But, but this, young, this young prophet got killed because he disobeyed what God said to do. Now that's a little scary, ain't it? Go read Acts chapter 5 over there about Ananias and Sapphira. I really think they saved. Because I don't think God would have dealt with that situation the way that he dealt with it if they were not saved. I don't think God cares what kind of promise a lost person makes. I really don't. I don't think God cares about that. All he's concerned about what they're doing right now is whether they're going to get saved or not. I'm being a little cut and dry this morning. I realize that and I understand that. But what I'm trying to get us to, why does one of the reasons God chastens us uh, is because we disobeyed Him. He's given us a book to live by. Me and my wife was having that discussion this morning. I said, I, I said, some people have a different Christianity than what we have. They don't read the same book and they don't believe the book the way that I believe it, the way her, she believes it, and the way we try to live our life. Am I perfect? Not by a long shot. Am I striving? I hope so. I want to live by what God says. Can I, can I say this? Y'all have heard me say this before. If you live by this book, it will make you strange. 
And not only will it make you strange to the world, it will make you strange to other Christians. Because they some just don't get it. Why does God chasten one? Because of our disobedience. Two, because he loves us. We go back to the text scripture in the book of Job. And he tells us over there in chapter 5 what? Behold, happy is the man whom God corrected. How can a man be happy when he's being corrected? One, it depends who's doing the correcting sometimes. If, if, I, if I thought somebody was trying to correct me to just show me up or to take advantage of the situation or whatever so that they could look smart and me look dumb, I'd probably be upset about that situation. But that's not what God has in mind at all. You mom and dads that have raised children in here, that's not what you've got on your mind at all when you have to chase them. You come on down and you look in Revelation chapter 3 and he says, as many, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What was it we've seen in Hebrews 12? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. God does it because he loves us. You remember what the, you remember what the definition of chastening was? It was to inflict pain for the purpose to recover the offender. It was to bring them back. They're out. They're away. You say, does God get to make the rules? Yes. I'm going to deal with that later on in this message. It don't look like we're going to get done today. And I'm not sure I'm going to preach it tonight. I'm going to have to go home and pray real good now. But... <clears throat> Does God get to... Yeah, He gets to make the rules. He's already done it. He's God. I mean, mean, it is Him. It's all about Him. He's the one that saved your soul. Amen. He's the one that that shed His blood so that we could get saved. And all we got to do is trust Him by faith. And then we want to argue with Him about what He wants us to do. And He's given us a home in heaven for eternity. And we want to argue with God. But he loves us. That's why he does it. Proverbs 3. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, that the son uh, in whom he delighteth. If he did not delight in us and love us, he would not chasten us when we get wrong. When we get wrong, it is to... Get us back. Because he loves us. He wants to have fellowship. I want you to listen to me now. He wants me and you to have fellowship with him. When the prodigal son was away, he had no fellowship with the father. And the father let him squander out there in his mess until he came to himself. He let him get broke, destitute, busted. Nobody else with him. He was by himself. You know, God will put you there. God will let you get by yourself.
When I studied this, I found a very interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians 11. Go over. I'm going to close right here in a minute. How many of us know what 1 Corinthians 11 is about? The end of 1 Corinthians 11 deals with the Lord's Supper. And the church of Corinth had some things wrong about the Lord's Supper because they had some things wrong in their doctrine and in the way they were with each other in the church. He talks about divisions in verse 18. And he talks about heresy in verse 19. And he deals with the Lord's Supper. And, and he talks about in verse 27 about, about drinking, uh, eating the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Well, that's something that we don't do today, is it? Self-examination. I don't really care for self-examination. Because when I start to do that, it really begins to show what I am. So he went on to say down here, And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discern the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So they've died. They've died in the Lord because of what they're doing. They're living. Verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That goes back to verse 28. To make that self-examination. To make a judgment of ourselves. Verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So he said, if you will not judge yourself, or examine yourself, and judgment does come. Listen, we're chastened of the Lord, and here's why, that we should not be condemned with the world. To be like them. And to carry judgment like them. God is trying to keep us out of more trouble. We think it ain't a good thing sometimes that God's beating on us because... Uh, we're wanting to do our own thing and go our own way. Some of you all in here have been out. I've never been out of church. I've not always been right, but I've never been out of church. I'm like Brother Fred Wilson. Faithfulness has got to pay for something here. My heart ain't always been right. Sitting on a church pew. It's not been. But what God is trying to do is keep you and me out of more trouble. Now here's the great thing about the Lord. And I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to have to quit. I'm just going to quit. When the prodigal son come home, the Bible said this, and while he was yet a great way off, the father ran to him. I believe he was looking for him. I believe that with all my heart. I believe every, I believe every day that father got up and he looked down that dirty road, that dusty road, and he looked for that son to come home. I believe every day God looks for his children that are backslid to come home. And he's trying to get your attention to get you to come home. He's trying to get your attention. 
Let's bow our heads this morning.